Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Are You Fucking Shitting Me? I'm April. And I'm Rachel. I think we're laughing because uh, we have absolutely no energy, and I just suddenly like put on as much energy as I could possibly muster for that it was, opening. It was impressive. We have been <laughs> burning everything at both ends. Oh, my God. <laughs> and all of a sudden... And we're on. (laughs) Well, you know, just put a microphone in front of me and I'll just pull it out of my ass if I have to. (laughs) Pull the microphone out of your ass. (laughs) I'm always pulling the microphone out of my ass. All right. So we're classy today. We keep it classy around here at Are You Fucking Shitting Me? It's in the name, really. (laughs) So what's happening? It seems like everything is happening. This world is crazy. Yeah. 2017 is um, it's rattling me. Yeah, I feel like it's 2017,000 million. It seems like it's been the longest year ever. It has been the longest year ever. Someone was just telling me about something that happened a year ago, and I was like, no, no, that was 10 years ago. Oh. Uh, No, no, it was actually last year, but you know. (laughs) I've lost all sense of time. (laughs) I've lost all sense of sanity. I've lost all sense. (laughs) So welcome. Join us. (laughs) I did get to go to Disneyland recently. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was a nice break from the craziness. I mean, it's a different kind of crazy. Yeah. But while there, I was talking with one of the people I was, you know, hopping around the parks with. and Because that's what you do. You hop around the park. Yeah, literally hop. I never move one foot in front of the other. <laughs> I just hop. It's effective and not at all awkward. <laughs> So one of the people I was there at Disneyland with is a woman named Judy, and Judy has been in the tech industry since the 70s. Wow. Yeah. She's seen a lot happen. She's been there from the get-go, and I found it really fascinating. So I brought her on, and we're going to have her tell us what it was like then, now, and some of the cool things she's done. Can't wait. Let's hear it. Okay, I'm Judy Bogart. I'm a technical writer in the software industry, very technical. I focus on API writing, so I write about programming for programmers, which means I have to be a programmer, essentially. In a sense, what I do is translate for engineers into English. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And so that sounds intense. So you have to know the deep, deep technical stuff, and then you break it down for people to understand who will be doing technical stuff. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, basically, I have to describe complex technical things, present them clearly and accurately, which is very difficult for engineers to do, to describe them clearly. Okay, that makes sense. They've got their skill in the technical side, but not the communication part necessarily. So how long have you been working in the technical and coding world? Since 1978. Oh, so you were ground floor then. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the trick. I got in before there were such a thing as credentials when you could just say, hey, I can do this. I had uh, majored in Scandinavian languages, so I was working as a switchboard operator. So I I decided to try some other things, and I um, took a programming, an introduction to programming course. You mentioned that back in the day, people kind of picked it up in the streets. I mean, this sounds like what you were doing. Exactly. And when I had that kind of basic background, I just papered the valley with uh, Silicon Valley with uh, entry-level resumes, looking for some kind of job connected to programming. And I got hired by uh, Commodore Computer 
in the marketing side as being the technical person on the marketing side. And I made contacts there with the engineering people and they kind of took me under their wing. And I had a mentor there and I switched to the engineering side. And my mentor had, was a woman who had learned it in the Army. She was a real uh, macho programmer. She, she had chops because she did disk operating systems and, you know, it's the... the sexy stuff for programmers. She really showed me how to prove myself to them, you know, that I was the real thing, that I could really think and had real logic. And, I, and you have to, as a woman, you have to prove yourself over and over to the engineers. Every time you meet someone, you have to prove that you're worthy of talking to. That is a topic that's really big right now as women mm-hmm. in programming. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between what it was like in the early days, in the 70s, versus what you see now? Has it gotten better? Has it gotten worse? Um, I've been thinking about that, and it is similar. It's harder now to get in the back door the way we did then and then be able to learn it on the job because you could get jobs. But, there, you know, there are still women that come through the schools that learn computer science. And in the, in the 80s and 90s, I worked with some of those women, and, and some of them stuck with it and are still programmers or but women tend to gravitate more toward the support roles because they're better communicators so a lot of them moved like I did into into technical writing I moved up through technical support into programming and then I did out and out programming for a while at Atari I wrote Robotron in 6502 somewhere for the Atari 800 yes you heard that right Judy worked for Atari There'll be more about that later. Programming is very absorbing and isolating. You have to concentrate very fiercely on it, and it kind of invades your dreams. And then gradually I moved back to the technical documentation, which is absorbing in the same kind of way as programming. You have to keep a web of information in your head and understand complex things and how they interact with each other. But it's easier to put down and pick up again. Because you're writing it down and... Maybe it's easier to keep track of it because I'm making it easier to keep track of by describing it. <laughs> You're not just looking at the code where, it's, where you really have to keep it all in your head at the same time. You said that when you first started off, though, you did have people that kind of took you under your wing, and some of them were men and some of them were women. Do you think you have to prove yourself more these days? It's always been the same. When you start talking to an engineer, you have to prove right off. You have to ask the right questions and prove that you um, understand things, that they don't have to coddle you or uh, gloss things over or make things simple for you. Do you see that um, same necessity there for men that are coming into those positions? Or is there assumption that those new men in that in that crew will I don't know. You already? have to ask them. <laughs> I will happily ask them. <laughs> You worked at Atari and Commodore, some of the big names in early computing. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite things you've worked on? Well, you know, Robotron was fun. (laughs) I had to play video games for a living for a couple of years. (laughs) After that, I moved into the um, AI industry, the budding AI industry, artificial intelligence. And that was that was fun. Again, it was the early days. It was the people coming out of Stanford trying to figure out an industry based on their research. And they essentially, we 
invented object-oriented programming. So I was part of the beginning of that, and I helped codify methodology and describe it and write about it and train people in it. Can you explain what object-oriented programming is? It's a style of programming where information is collected into classes. You have, you have your data objects that are things like people. A person is an object that has a name and an address and a phone number and probably products that they've purchased. And a product is another class. There's product objects in the purchased products property. But then the, the trickier part is the logic that controls how you decide what a person can do based on what products they own. Uh, that's super interesting. So It is. It, it was a huge breakthrough, and pretty much everything is organized that way now. The Java language was designed to be an object-oriented language. Was there ever a time where you were working on something and your mind was blown by, I can't believe I'm, I'm working on this? Besides the flying cars. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't want to breeze by that without a little explanation. Basically, here's the situation. Until very recently, Judy was working with a team designing a flying car. But non-disclosures being what they are, she was unable to discuss it in detail. Let's just say pretty cool stuff. Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. Bang, bang. The things that people are doing now are, are many of them are very mind-blowing. The game changer for me in my lifetime is the internet. Yeah, that's a pretty big game changer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's so different. You can't imagine how different it is. In the AI company, I saw the beginning of that. We made a programming environment it's called an IDE now. Lots of people do it. It's a design environment. And this was the first object-oriented programming environment. And one of our customers was the defense department. So we had, for those things, we had access to DARPANET, the ancestor of, well, of the Internet. And we had we had the beginnings with prototypes for messaging. We had messaging through the servers. Everybody had a a, uh, a terminal for the the big computer. And we were just starting to have smaller computers. At IntelliCorp, this was in the uh, late eighties, early nineties. So we had stuff running on servers that controlled stuff like messaging. There was a messaging program so that we could talk to each other through the server. But we also had our mini computers on the desktop. I don't know if you saw the movie with uh, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy when... Oh, God, uh, yes. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a great movie. That was, you know, that uh, computer, that computer is what you've got on your desktop now, that room-sized computer. The movie we're talking about here is Desk Set. It had a computer that took up an entire room, like a huge room. And it's a really fun, classic Tracy Hepburn jam. So I do recommend you guys watch it. It's very funny and cute. You know, the first computer is ENIAC. You have a lot more power in the phone you're holding than uh, than they do. That's insane. You probably have as much power in your watch as ENIAC. <laughs> is there anything that you want to talk about that you'd like people who aren't in the tech world to know about? I would like to see programming be more of a skill, a basic skill like reading and writing that's offered to children, all children, especially women. Why do you think women are steered away from it? Uh, why are they steered away from math and science? You know, it's the patriarchy. And, yeah. and there's still, you know, this very deep, deep cultural bias that women can't think properly, that they can't think as well as men. They're not logical. They're too emotional. Not intelligent. Yeah, too emotional. 
which is why yeah. we're better communicators than they are, and we have to translate. <laughs> but I do understand why women are better communicators, because the way that we're taught to play is in a communicative way. That's socioculturally the way that small girls are taught to interact with each other, play home, play yeah. pretend. Um, wasn't necessarily my thing. I, I used to build in the garage, get a hammer and a nail and, mm-hmm. and a saw. The thing about those gender roles is that you can't escape them, whether they're in line with your personality or not. If they're in line with your personality, all is cool and you become a great exemplar of your gender role. But even if they're totally opposed to your nature, you can't escape your own gender role. Someone who is really aligned with their gender role doesn't have to learn anything about the other side. It occurs to me also that people like you and me who are not particularly aligned with their gender role by nature have an easier time reaching across and picking up the other things. So it's easy yeah. for me to prove my logical chops to guys. And there's there's a gender-related way that women are steered away from it is that there isn't very much good technical writing out there. Things are not usually described very well. You know, just read the help files on your Windows computer, you know, you want to understand a word. So it's really easy for women to say, oh, I just don't understand that. That's not described well. Oh, my God. She's worked on some amazing projects. I can't wait to hear more about the flying car when she can talk about it. I wonder how long that non-disclosure lasts. uh, We should put it in our calendar and set some kind of alarm so that we can ask her as soon as we can. (laughs) Or we could just text her every day. So can you tell us that? Can you tell us? Now? Now? (laughs) How about now? And did you play Robotron? I didn't. I don't think I played Robotron. What is that game? It was an arcade game that had two joysticks that one person used so you could like fire all the way around. And I actually wasn't a huge Robotron person, but I did love Atari. I didn't find out till later that... Judy was instrumental in making sure that the two joystick technology of the arcade game was translated to the Atari game. Like, I think the powers that be were just thinking, ah, whatever, we'll just do one joystick, people will get over it. And Judy's like, this is why people like this game. I remember when Atari came out with the double joystick thing, and it was mind-blowing and life-changing. That was Judy. Thank you, Judy. You (laughs) created many hours of fun for my brother and I and uh, probably a great distracting babysitter for my mom. So that's awesome. While I didn't play Robotron, I definitely used those joysticks. But I do think you made a great point. Atari was a kick-ass babysitter. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think of it at the time at all. For me, it was like, oh, thank God I don't have to interact with the rest of my family and I could just do this. 100%. (laughs) Or do my homework. Yeah. (laughs) Or anything else I'm supposed to be doing. What games did you play? Do you remember Dragon Slayer? I don't. It was really basic and I mean it's all 8-bit so it was the graphics were really simple but they had like arrows that you would shoot at the dragons and you'd go through a little maze and stuff. Wasn't there a movie that was out around the same time called Dragon Slayer? That might have been a little bit later and then there was also an arcade game called Dragon's Lair. I remember that and that was a disc game that had the... Okay I remember that game. Yeah. Yeah I used to play Frogger and Centipede. Oh, Centipede. Donkey Kong mm-hmm. and Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. I did love Frogger. Frogger, so good. And Sorry. Centipede, both so good. But oh, my, Asteroids. Oh, yeah, I hated Asteroids because, man, you'd just be floating forever if you got up. 
I, I could game. not handle it. I loved at the arcade, Galaga was my favorite. Yeah, Galaga was cool. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was so interesting that Judy was talking about being an interpreter for engineers. When I first started writing in the late 90s, I actually did a bunch of tech writing for CNET and a couple other places that were big at the time. I was working in tech as a web developer, and my coworker was the programmer, and we would come up with ideas for articles all the time. You know, he was a programmer, so I would write the articles and translate what he was telling me. Mostly we were doing articles about Internet 2, which was a big deal at the time. Mm -hmm. And also, which was going to be the super secret high-speed Internet that ran parallel to the regular Internet, but it was going to be for, you know, the government and and universities. That was the plan. I, I think it kind of exists, sort of, but I think they all kind of melded together. And then we would also talk about uh, streaming programs, so like streaming video, streaming audio. That's and really how cool. that stuff worked. And yeah. this was what year? Late 90s, wow. probably 97, 98, 99. So that's really early on in that for like streaming yeah. technology. Yeah, it was really cool. I used to go to a lot of tech conferences. There were very few women that would go to these conferences and it would be very weird to be in these sessions where the guys were all explaining to each other and kind of trying to one-up each other in terms of like who knew what about how to use some technology better, who knew how to code it better, where women were kind of like just wanted to ask questions and yeah. you know not try to prove that they knew more. I, I, I feel like it was like me and three other women at a lot of these conferences. You mentioned it wasn't always a friendly atmosphere. Yeah, it was very odd. Any sort of talking with any of the men, it, it would seem like, not like I was talking to them. They seemed to get the impression that I wasn't talking to them in sort of a, a business professional way. But because I was talking to them, I wanted to date them and not being taken seriously. Well, I think that that was an interesting point that she talked about having to prove yourself. And, and we discussed a little bit off mic, I guess, on this, about anytime someone's in charge, they do expect new people to prove themselves, right? Like, sure, they want to make sure they don't have to hold your hand while you're getting up to speed. But it sounds as low there is a bit more proving that's necessary when a woman's coming in because there are these stereotypes of we're too emotional, we don't think in logical manners. But that's really actually not true. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really outdated way of thinking because if I think about all the men that I know, they mm -hmm. seem to be much more emotional a lot of times than the women I know. Or maybe they just handle their emotions differently. Maybe they just don't think about it as emotion. But I, I, I have to say, especially as I've gotten older, that the major my my female friends are nowhere near as emotional about things as my male friends. I'd also like to say that we talked in Judy and I talked about, you know, the sociocultural upbringing of women and we are steered towards these social types of play. And so our communication skills are built up in that way, whether or not that's the way that your brain is wired. But as I've become older, I feel like the men in my life are really great communicators. Did Judy talk to you at all about what she thinks about young women today in who are majoring in programming or engineering? Well, she briefly discussed some of the women in their 20s that are coming into the field, and they are certified and and go through the programming that everybody else goes through. Whereas when Judy was picking it up on the streets, I love that phrase for, for coding, um, you could really just show your chops on the job. I think what she said was that she's kind of surprised that outside of the coding world, you don't, or the tech world, you don't get a lot of women that are interested in the 
in the Java and in the coding and the writing part of it, which is really quite right. I mean, it should be maybe something that we could use as a basic skill in our elementary schools. I don't know if that's starting to happen or not. You know, I was taught coding when I was in elementary school. We had to have, it wasn't that long, but we had to have starting in like fifth or sixth grade, every year, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, I think, we would have two weeks a year that was dedicated to learning computer programming. I also took a coding class in junior high. Uh, it was fun. It yeah, was I thought Commodore. it was really fun. It was super mm-hmm. fun. I yeah. liked it too. I, I think I didn't know that we could take it more than that. And if I had, I think I probably would have taken it a lot because I thought it was really fun. Now, I work on a college campus, so I talk to a lot of girls who are majoring in engineering or computer science. Oh, that's exciting. So, yeah. Probably in the last five years, I feel like I've noticed more female students majoring in those uh, areas. That's great. I yeah. would love this to see This is one that. university. So, you know, I hope that it it's everywhere, but I, I do think it's starting to happen more. I mean, we have some pretty prominent, strong women in the gaming world creating these really great games. I'm not a big video game player anymore, but I mean, just the backlash that we saw from Gamergate is obvious. Some people trying to hold on to the old ways of like women can't do this as well. But there are clearly women making some inroads. That's awesome. Absolutely. And also at USC, we have one of the best video game departments of any school. Is that why E3 is there? (laughs) I think so. And a lot of the faculty and professors who are in that video game department are women. That's awesome. Well, this was a super interesting episode. Thank you so much for talking to Judy. She's fantastic. Judy, thank you so much for Disneyland and for being my special guest today. As always, uh, check out our website, rufsmpodcast.com, for sources for this episode and for all our episode. You can get our past episodes on our website, or you can find us on iTunes. And if you like our show, please review us on iTunes. That really helps us a lot. It helps our rankings go up, and we would really appreciate it. Plus, we want to hear what you have to say. And if anyone has any comments, ideas, check us out on our Facebook page. We are happy to hear from you. Well, thank you guys for joining us this week, and we will be back next week, of course. In the meantime, I'm Rachel. And I'm April. Bye.